As we move into our time of the message, I tried something new. I put uh, like a sermon note sheet in there, and I need to apologize. Um, it came to me uh, later in the week to do something like this and try it. But if you like it, will you let me know that way that we can higginize it and make it something that is like beautiful and like worthy of you being able to scribble something on it? Um, but if, if you like it, please use it. If you don't, then, you know, uh, what did we say? Roll it up, make a special design, origami, a swan, something like that. Um, I'm sure you can do. But anyways, here we go. Now, sometimes what we know about God... And what we do for God have a way of getting broken apart in our lives. And when the unity of belief and behavior is broken, we become incapable of living out the abundant way of life that God has designed for us. And if we think about it, it's not just in our relationship with God where this brokenness of belief and behavior breaks down. Think about the way that we raise our children, right? We might tell them to do something, but then we don't follow through. Or maybe even worse, we don't do it ourselves, what we're asking them to do. I think about, for me personally, exercise and diet, right? I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do 100 push-ups. I only do 99. All that type of stuff where we have certain beliefs and certain words that we live by doesn't always follow through in our behavior. And it is kind of all the way across, right? We think about the laws of the world, the laws of our nation. We think of the promises we make to one another. There's not a bit of life that isn't torn, broken, or fractured in our sin-wrecked world. And for some of us, it leads us to ruin. For others, we kind of find a way to just limp by for a while. But as Paul is writing in Ephesians today, he's showing us how in Christ we can set things right. For Christ has come to heal and to make whole. Christ does it all, and that is what we have in Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, we find out who we are and what we're living for. We find that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us and gives us life eternally, but also the abundant life in the now. We find fullness in him, and we find purpose and unity as a church. So we're going to go through our Ephesians text today, and I'm just going to highlight different things as we take a look at this first section together. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul does this thing where he, he thanks people. Perhaps you've seen it when you come across his letters. He does it in Colossians. He does it here in Ephesians. He does it in Philippians. He does it in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't do it to the Galatians, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But he has this way of thanking people. And I don't always talk and, and, and think the way that he does. Now, don't get me wrong. My mama raised me right. I do say thank you when people open the door for me, when they hand me things and things like that. But I feel like sometime in my prayers, I ask more than I thank. Ask more than I think. And, 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 that, and there's something, I guess, wrong with that. It's just interesting. But that's not my point. My point is this. Paul is thanking people in Ephesus who are following Jesus. Yes, but he's also thanking you. See, I've read that and I've read those thank yous several times, but I've never stopped and realized that that's me. He's thanking me. He's also thanking you. Look around. Seriously, do this with me. It's fun. I do it all the time. I try to make eye contact with as many people as I can. Now, look at someone right now. Just pick someone. If you don't know them, it's going to be weird. But if you do know them, then it'll maybe it'll be a little bit normal, right? So as you're looking at them, realize this, that that person sitting next to you, these people that are surrounded around you, 
They're following Jesus. Now, you're not doing it. I can see all your faces. You're looking at me. you got to look at one another. Seriously, look at one another. The person that you are looking at is someone who cares, someone who finds someone who is hurting and comes and offers them words of encouragement, someone who holds someone. The person sitting next to you is someone who greets you, who smiles at you. The person sitting next to you might be someone who sings and hits those high notes when you just kind of like watermelon with the lyrics and not really sing. The person sitting next to you might be the guy shredding that awesome guitar solo. The person sitting next to you is someone who invites others to come and experience Jesus. The person sitting next to you and around you is someone who witnesses for Jesus by their words and by their lives. The person sitting next to you, us, we are people who though we may be broken or fractured or hurting, we find healing in Christ Jesus. And so thank God for each and every one of you, for the outpouring of love that you show to one another, and for your trust in Jesus. Thank you. And look around. We are not alone. We are not alone. We are a church. We have each other, and we have Jesus. So Paul, knowing that, asked God for four things. And we're going to look at them. We're going to look at them separately. The first one he asks is this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. To know him better. To know God, our loving Father. The God who desires the very best for you. The one who isn't smiting you or putting his thumb on you or trying to make it impossible for you. Rather, he's the one who's held nothing back but gives you the spirit without limit. The one who has revealed to you his plans for all eternity in Christ Jesus. Our Father who speaks to us in his word, who hears and answers our prayers, who through one another encourages us and who feeds us. Our own body and blood, by his own body and blood, who makes us his own in the waters of baptism. This is the God that he calls us to know better. A God who gives generously and mercifully every single day. But how can we know this God if we aren't in his word? How can we know this God? If we don't love, remember that unity of belief and behavior is broken. The abundant life stalls. And that's why I will say it to you time and time again. Head, heart, hands, and habit are not separate. They are one. And that is what God wants us to know. And we learn that when we go to him. The second point is this. To know, uh, let me read it first. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Know the hope to which he has called you. Another way of saying that is to take hold of the immense and abundant way of life that he has given. That's the way of hope. The hope that we have, the faith that we've been given, changes us from the inside out. 
And it's this crazy thing of changeness and sameness. Because even though he is changing us on the inside, we find when we look around that we're still having to deal with the same people, the same routines, the same temptations, the same culture, the same family, the same businesses, the same job, the same problems. But it is in this hope where we have an intimate relationship with Christ Jesus, who though we can't see him, we believe that he is in us and working through us. There's no separation there. There's no dichotomy. No parts where Christ is and no parts where he is not. That's so why I wonder why, we, why do we do it? Why do we crave separations? Why do we try to distinguish ourselves from one another? And the answer is sin. And yet our Lord Jesus will have none of it. He knits us back together. He joins us. He does not separate, but joins us into him because he is in everything. There is no separation from him. And the mindset then changes from saying, Lord, I'm going to invite you into this situation, or, you know what, Lord, I got this, you stay over there, or, you know what, actually, I kind of need your help right now. Rather, Lord, you are always here. What's next? And what would you have me do? Because I am never not in your presence. Remember five or six weeks ago, maybe a year ago, I told you to take that time where you walk in and you remember just trying to take a deep, quick breath, say a little prayer. My friend Mark was telling me about this, and he's like, yeah, I go there, and these guys are asking me for something, and I just take a deep breath, and he works in a way in the conversation to get them to come to church. Stops, remembers, and acts. That's grabbing the abundant life and inviting others to come along inside of it. The third part that he talks about is this. It's real short. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And that's the part we like, right? That's the part we know as Lutherans. We get the idea of eternal life. When I die, my sins are forgiven. Jesus took care of it, and I'm going to heaven. And that's true. It's true for you too. But it's funny how this is phrased. Because it's saying that we inherit, but it's also saying that God himself inherits something. God inherits you. We inherit eternal life. He inherits you. Do you remember the parable in Matthew 13, the one about the, the crazy pearl, like the really fancy pearl? Let me read it for you. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I read that and think, okay, I need to like go somewhere. I'm going to find Jesus, and then I've got to abandon everything, and then I'm going to like have him. Yeah, but if we look at the context, the man in this context is not us, but it is God our Father. It is God our Father who seeks each and every one of us out, leaves all of it behind, even gives his own son so that he can have you. You are the pearl, and he will do whatever it takes to have you. And the fourth part is this, incomparably great power. And his incomparably great power he gives us for those who believe. A great power with the ability to be raised even though we die. To be dead to our sins, but to be alive in Christ Jesus. A great power where he invites you to participate in that mission of great power. Where your words, when you speak the gospel to someone, you will literally save them. 
You will be his agent of speaking his words of mercy and salvation, and they will move from death to life. That is power that the rest of the world, no matter what it does, cannot have outside of Jesus Christ. Your words have an eternal impact. Your actions are an outpouring and an expression of the Lord's love for each and every one of us. The great power that you have is his Holy Spirit inside of you. Paul goes on to say this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. We have a word for that. It's Ascension, Ascension Sunday, baby. Woohoo! Let me hear you woohoo. Dude, look at that. Woohooing. Nice. Yeah. Basically, that says Christ lives, Christ reigns. Christ lives, Christ reigns. Ascension Sunday, boom. Thank you. Dude, you're going to go far in life. Now. Look at the pattern that Paul puts down. He rejoices. He believes. He bees. Rejoice, believe, be. We live as Christ lived. He lives, and now so do we. We embrace the hope and the way of life that he calls us to. We reign because when he reigned, he came not as one sitting on the fancy thrones telling. He came one to sit and to wash feet. We reign as Christ served. And if you're wondering what does that look like, let me read for you something from the message. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible. When we went, talked about a little bit earlier when I said, how can you know God if you're not reading his word? This is where I spend a lot of my time. It's just a little bit more familiar, the phrasing and things like that. I like to use it as a little meditation. So let me read from you. This is long, so you can stay with me, Allie. Luke 6, here we go. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this. And this is how we live in Christ and reign by serving. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously. Even when we're at our worst, our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity 
begots generosity. He quoted a proverb, Can a blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in a ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. Who you follow as your teacher. It's easy to see the smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this I know better than you mentality again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. And here's where he brings it home in Luke chapter 6. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. When he speaks into your life that that is who you are, you become it. It is fact. Why are you so polite with me always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing the thing I tell you? He's asking. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard way of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its bank and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. And this is the part that hit me hardest. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a silly carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. We live as Christ lived. We serve. In the fullness of the church in this last bit. Takes a while to go back and up. The thing with the mouse is like backwards. I was having a really hard time with it too. Nope, good effort. <laughs> I used to work with Quinn, so you can speak like that to him when you know him. Now, nope, dude, Quinn, get your life together. Well, we're looking for the uh, Ephesians last little section in the thing. Nice, well, you got it there. And God placed, thank you, Quinn, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. Now, while all things are under Christ Jesus, the church has a unique and special relationship with Jesus. In this relationship, Christ is in us. It's where he is promised to be. And also we are in him. No separation. When you see the church... You see Jesus Christ. Now, the last little metaphor I want to leave you with is, remember the Brady Bunch? Remember at the beginning when they'd sing the song and all the little heads were like bouncing around and they were like looking and it said the one, the Brady Bunch, but they weren't like just yearbook status, like smiling and looking straight ahead. They were like interacting with each other, right? That's how it is with us. It says right there in big words, the church. And all of our faces looking at one another, all of our hands serving and interacting with one another as we, the church, are united in Christ Jesus. So be the church and be a part of our church, right? Everyone has a role. 
serve here, you serve in our community. Because in Christ Jesus, all are made whole. And we share that with one another and with our community.